or on your phones to Psalms 145, the 145th division of Psalms. Psalms 145, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And this morning, we're going to concentrate on the fourth verse there as our key scripture today. One generation will commend your works to another. They will, tell, they will tell of your mighty acts. And our topic this morning is, it's testimony time. Tell your neighbor, it's testimony time. It's testimony time. You know, uh, back in the day, when uh, PT was much, much, much smaller, we would have testimony time. Anybody else come from a church where you had testimony time? And it was a time when you could tell of the goodness of the Lord. And so the, the worship leader would get up and they would say, does anybody have a testimony? And you know, there was always one person who, oh, at least one person had a testimony. I thank the Lord for saving me, keeping me. I thank the Lord that I'm running for my life. Because <laughs> 99 and a half won't do. And I thank God because he's kept me, he's saved me, and I'm baptized and I'm filled with the precious Holy Ghost and that with a mighty burning fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The old saints, they had some testimonies. And then as the church got bigger, we got too big to be doing testimony service, or so we think. But this morning, I want you to allow me to testify on your behalf. I'm going to testify on behalf of all of Pentecostal Tabernacle this morning and tell of the goodness of the Lord. I say this morning because I'm so used to morning service. I'm sorry. So forgive me in advance. Also forgive me if I say we, and you all are like, she's not a partner of Pentecostal Tabernacle. Well, yes, I am. I have dual membership. <laughs> Shoot. People have dual citizenship. I got dual membership. So I slip back and forth between y'all and us. So just putting that out there as a disclaimer. So we're going to testify today. We're going to testify 
Verse 4 says again, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. And I thought about there's now um, some things available on websites called Ancestry.com. And Ancestry.com allows you to look at your DNA and to find out where you came from. So this morning, we're going to look at the DNA of Pentecostal Tabernacle. What are the things that are within Pentecostal Tabernacle that make us who we are today? What are the things that are in the heritage and in the history of Pentecostal Tabernacle that you're now building upon? And then my next question is, what are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind? So go with me. Let's take a look this afternoon at the spiritual DNA of PT. So the year is 1927. Calvin Coolidge is the president. A loaf of bread costs nine cents. Postage stamps, you know those things we don't even use hardly anymore. But the little postage stamps, two cents. If you wanted a new car, $394. Somebody said, take me back, take me back, take me back. Gas, 22 cents a gallon. And if you were so blessed to get a new house, $3,230. Somebody said, that's my rent. That's my rent. <laughs> oh. But the average salary, let's put it all in perspective, the average salary is only $342 a year. So now, now you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. So it's 1927. And as you heard this morning, as our sister Gigi uh, named off the people who started Pentecostal Tabernacle, there were 28 people. These 28 people in 1927, they were immigrants from Barbados. They had come over as immigrants, and we know now that's a charged word these days, but I'm not going there. I'm just stating the facts. They were immigrants from Barbados, including, as was mentioned, my great-grandparents. So I'm the fourth generation here at Pentecostal Tabernacle, my niece and nephew, Kendra and Matthew Plummer, being the fifth generation. They came from Barbados as immigrants, and most of them, the women, were domestic workers. Think of that movie, The Help. They were the help. They were the ones going into the homes of mostly Caucasian folks and serving them. They served as the nannies. They served as the maids. They served as the cleaning people in hotels. They were the help. These are the people that started Pentecostal Tabernacle. The men were factory workers, happy if they could get a job in a factory happy if they could get a job sweeping behind the construction crew. None of them, I believe, had any more than a high school education, if that, if that. These are the folks that started Pentecostal Tabernacle. You feeling convicted yet? Because we have so much more. We've been blessed with so much more. And yet, 
these folks started Pentecostal Tabernacle. They started at 888 Main Street. It was a single room, just a single little room in 1927. And as mentioned uh, by Sister Gigi, taking all my sermon, she, <laughs> they then went to, as they grew, outgrew the single room, went to 5 and 7 Austin Street, which is now Bishop Richard Allen Drive, in the small two-family house that they renovated. Then in 1946, after they outgrew, after they outgrew 5 and 7 Austin Street, they then purchased 77 Columbia Street. And after they outgrew <laughs> 77 Columbia Street, they purchased 56 Magazine Street. So just to bring you up to the current day. So that's the history. That's the heritage that we have in this church. And if you look at the history, you'll see that's a history of expansion. It's a history of growth. Every move that was made was because the place was too small. The move wasn't made because the building was falling apart. The move wasn't made because people decided they wanted to be someplace else. The move was made out of necessity because of growth and expansion. And I want to say to you, Pentecostal Tabernacle, that expansion is in your DNA. Expansion is in your DNA. And as good as this is, this is not all God has for you. You might think, oh, well, we're already in two locations. And, you know, this is, this is pretty good. And I'm sure Bishop is like, two is fine. <laughs> he has lots of work to do. Or the leadership has lots of work to do. I don't know if it's another location. I can't tell you that. But I know that expansion is in your DNA. Whether that's numerical or whether it's spiritual, ministerial, look for it, because expansion is coming. Listen to the words of the former pastor of this church, Reverend Herman L. Green, which is Bishop Bryan's father, on the occasion of the 80th anniversary of this church. So 10 years ago, he said, to the present generation of Pentecostal Tabernacle, the former leaders have left us a rich heritage of biblical truths fostered by the past generation and passed on to our present pastor, Bishop Brian C. Green. The foundation is built on prayer and fasting of the past generation, the generation of the past who challenged us to preserve the work of our forefathers, who left us a great heritage in Christ Jesus, continuing to build a solid foundation of truth and principles, presenting to the generations to come our Lord and Savior. Can you say amen? amen. Say amen. amen. So what is the rich heritage that our forefathers and our foremothers left us? What is in our DNA? The first thing that's in our DNA, even as referenced by Reverend Green, is solid biblical teaching. Solid biblical teaching in Pentecostal Tabernacle. The early ministerial staff did not have more than a high school education, as I mentioned. They weren't Reverend Doctor with a whole lot of alphabet soup behind their name. But I tell you one thing. They did what the scripture tells us to do. They could rightly divide the word of truth. 
They didn't have all the tools that we have available to us now. They couldn't just Google the scripture. They couldn't YouTube it. They had a Bible. They had a Bible. <laughs> and maybe a concordance. And maybe a concordance. But they had a Bible. And through that, they were able to rely on the Holy Spirit to teach them what they needed to know, and then to be able to deliver the word with clarity and with power. And let me tell you another thing about back in the day. Back in the day, if you wanted to hear the word, you had to be in the church. There was no such thing as streaming, and God bless all the streamers out there. God bless you. We're grateful for you. But you had to be in the church. There were no cassettes. Yeah, cassettes. DVDs, CDs, whatever else y'all millennials have these days, I don't even know. But all I know is you had to be present in the house of the Lord. And I believe that... All of these tools, and you, know, you might not say amen to this, but the tools and the technology is all good. But I think sometimes it's made us lazy Christians. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Say ouch. It's made us lazy Christians. We don't have to memorize the scripture anymore. Why do we have to memorize it? Because in a minute, we could look it up. Mm-hmm, Right? Man, I don't feel like going to church today. I'm a little tired. Let me just stream today. You know what? Or, or I can pull up any church service from anywhere around the world and watch it. Mm. And see, you ask people, who are their pastor? Well, I listen to so-and-so and so-and-so. Okay, when you're in the hospital, you call so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> There's a reason why we have church together. There's a reason why we come together and why we're building, how we're building each other up. So we, we memorized scriptures. And it started in Sunday school. So I wanted to show you a couple of pictures of the Sunday school class, 1946. This is the Sunday school class. The lady standing there is my grandmother. Sister Ivy Brashaw, the same one playing the organ, was also teaching Sunday school. Yeah, that's how it was. <laughs> She's in front of 77 Columbia Street. Check out the little girls with their hats. And it was probably Easter Sunday, I'm thinking. Probably Easter Sunday. We started in Sunday school. Memorizing scripture, memorizing the 23rd Psalm, you know, that's where the foundation started. But it wasn't only that picture is for the children. Next picture. This is also a Sunday school class. And again, there's my grandmother. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she, I don't know if she was teaching that class too or if she was in that class. But it's an adult Sunday school class. How about that? That your learning doesn't stop. Your learning shouldn't be stopping. 
that there's still more for you to learn. I mean, these look like grown folk in Sunday school class, 1946. So we, as Pentecostal Tabernacle, have in our DNA a strong biblical foundation. And then, secondly, it's in our DNA to have prayer. Amen. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7, which is also quoted by Jesus in Matthew 21, 13 and Mark eleven seventeen, And we often quote the last part of, of that, which says, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But let me read Isaiah 56, 6 to 7, the whole thing. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenants, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, and that's what Pentecostal Tabernacle is today. In the olden days when they would have prayer, they had separate prayer meetings. None, none of this combining, you know, come and pray and then have Bible study. When you came to pray, you came to pray. You, you didn't even come, you didn't even come to worship in terms of singing. You came to prayer meeting, it was called. <laughs> and it was all prayer. Some of you are like, ooh, that's rough. <laughs> Separate prayer meeting. Not only that, so we had prayer on Tuesday and Bible study on Thursday, I think it was. See now, see, now you're getting into my generation. I know this for a fact. <laughs> I'm not talking about what I read. This is what we did Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then we would have all-night prayer. And all-night really meant all-night. Starting at 6, 6 p.m., and going to 6 a.m. Talking about all-night prayer. We had shut-ins. Mm. Sometimes for the whole weekend. Shut in, in the church. This is a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. And as we came together in prayer, and as our forefathers and foremothers came together in prayer, in, in the 1970s, somewhere in the 1970s, the Lord gave us a prophetic word. The word was, that the walls of the church will be bulging. Now, let me take you back. This is the 1970s. This, I don't know what congregation was in here, but we weren't. <laughs> so we're over at 77 Columbia Street, smaller church. How many of you have been to 77 Columbia Street? Okay. Anybody been there within the past year? Okay. Is it crowded? That's why some of y'all are here, because you can get your seat here, right? Okay, it's crowded. It's packed. People upstairs, downstairs, the balcony. 1970s, the word of the Lord comes to us that the walls are going to be bulging. And you might say, ooh, isn't that wonderful? Well, 
But when we looked around, it was far from bulging. Probably had about 40 people tops. One, two, three, four, five, count off, 40 people. And prophetic word comes that the walls are bulging. But we held on to that word. And when our bishop became pastor, we held on to that word. By that time, we were maybe at 100 people or so. Still not bulging. You know, we still had room. And then the Lord moved on the heart of our bishop and said, I want you to pray for these empty pews. We began to pray for the empty and anoint empty pews. What? Okay, Bishop. <laughs> All right, in the name of Jesus, bring them in, bring them in. Over and over, and we thought, you know, the first time he did it, we said, okay, all right. But every time we came in, every pre-service prayer, every Tuesday night, pray over these pews, pray over these pews. Then he told us to call people in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Oh. All right, Bishop, here we go again. And he's, okay, we're going to face north. We don't even know which way north was. <laughs> okay, what, is it that way? Okay, face north. Okay, we're calling them in. We are praying people in, south, east, west. So some of you that are here today, we prayed you in. <laughs> we prayed you in. Good to see you. Glad you finally made it because we prayed you in. Now, you may either thank us because you're glad you're here in Boston and you never thought you'd be here and you're glad you're here, or you may be like, ooh, then take that up with the Lord because that's up to the Lord. But we prayed you in. And so that goes to show you again that prayer, the prayer of the saints availeth much. And sometimes the promise requires your participation. The promise required our participation. We had the promise of bulging walls. We didn't see it, and so we could have sat back and said, okay, well, Lord, when you get ready to make the walls bulge, we'll be here. But we had to participate. We had to pray. We had to fast. We anointed the empty pews. And at that time, to be honest with you, when we were doing the north, south, east, and west, I think we were more thinking about Oh, okay, a little north of Boston, that would be Medford, you know, maybe going that way. South, we might go down to Quincy and, you know, Randolph kind of area. East, East Cambridge, yes, Lord, bring them from East Cambridge, you know. And west, if you want to go to Framingham and bring them in, Lord. I don't know that we had any idea that we were calling people from all over the world. Did you hear this morning as the, the partners came in? from all over the world, because it's in the DNA of Pentecostal Tabernacle to have prayer and to call people forth. And then we carried on with morning prayer. Morning prayer um, has been going in this church since 2000. So that gives us, what, 17 years of daily morning prayer without missing a morning. Even when morning prayer is canceled, somebody goes in and prays over the prayer basket. You ought to say amen, because some of you had your prayers in that basket. 
You ought to say amen. amen. So we thank God for the prayer that goes forth from this church. So solid biblical foundation, prayer. And then the next thing that's in the DNA of this church is worship. Did you enjoy the worship this morning? Yeah, yeah, you looked like you did. <laughs> PT is blessed. We have uh, powerful voices on the praise team, and not only the praise team, you have multiple praise teams. Ooh, you might not understand, but trust me, that's a blessing. But it wasn't always like this. Now, when they purchased the church on Columbia Street, it came with, with the magnificent pipe organ, uh, as was mentioned by Sister Gigi, and my grandmother was the church organist. And so I also have uh, a picture there that you can see. That's my grandmother on the organ, and that's the choir. So this is at Pentecostal Tabernacle. I don't know if it's north, south. I don't know where I am, but 77. <laughs> it's at 77 Columbia Street. And you can see my grandmother on the organ and the, the gentleman to the right um, standing up is Reverend Green, Reverend Herman Green. That was the choir at Pentecostal Tabernacle. And after my grandmother passed away, there was no one to play the pipe organ, you know, because remember hers was a miraculous gift <laughs> that she had. <laughs> so they could have this big dedication service. So there was no one to play the pipe organ, but my dear mother, believe it or not, Mother Cummings <laughs> was a church pianist. Amen. And the, the musical gift stopped there because my sister and I don't play nothing. <laughs> but a mean tambourine. We can get going on the tambourine. That's about it. But yes, so what I want to show you today, though, is all of this is good, and it is truly, truly a blessing. But it's not what worship is all about. So back in the day, the services were quite different. No praise team. And this is, now this is in my day. No praise team. At first, we had one worship leader. So one person would get up, and they would be the worship leader. And anybody could be the worship leader. <laughs> and I do mean anybody. Now, um, I hope he doesn't get too upset with me, but I have to tell you that even Elder Roy was a worship leader. That's how desperate we were. It's desperate. And they literally would just, you come in church, you wouldn't know whether you were going to be the worship leader. You, you just come in church and sit down, and all of a sudden you get called on to be the worship leader. Whoa. And every time they call our elder boy, Jesus, we start praying, Jesus. Jesus. Bless Lord, Jesus. We start singing a little louder. Let's sing a little louder. I love you, elder boy. I love you. You know I love you. All right. All right. Now, the worship leader back in the day didn't have to do too much, though, because we used hymnals. And this the modern hymnal. I mean, we were serious. The, the modern hymnal. 
So this was our hymnal. And everybody had their own, you know, because we were small. Everybody had their own. There's no screens, none of that. We sang from the hymnal. This was our morning hymnal, the blue book. I didn't even know the name of it. I had to ask, can you get me one of those blue books? Because we called it the blue book. And that was for our Sunday morning. And then Sunday evening services, because yes, yes, we had Sunday evening services. <laughs> oh, yes, we did. We had Sunday evening services. We would, let me tell you, you all come in on the good part. Because we would have Sunday evening service at 5 o'clock. And then if somebody's church was having a revival, you would leave your 5 o'clock service and go to their 8 o'clock service. Sister Helen said amen. So this was our evening hymnal. Now, I don't know why, we, but you could never mix them up. Don't try to do the blue book in the evening or the red book in the morning. So we have one of our former worship leaders with us today. And so I'm going to ask her, because, see, I can describe it, but I'm going to ask our elder, Anita Ray, one of our former worship leaders, <laughs> to come. And she's going to demonstrate how we used to do church. Come on, elder Anita. Come on. Lord, we thank you for being here this morning, and we welcome you into, the, into our sanctuary, Lord, and we're just going to bless your name today. Good morning, saints. Good morning. All right. Does anybody have a song they want to sing? Okay, all right, all right, saints, we, we're going to sing 401. So if you want to stand, you can stand, but you can just sit, stay seated in the pew. We're going to sing 401, okay? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, wait a minute. Um, Brother Austin, could you play it a little bit faster? Oh, okay. I stand corrected. This, this is the morning service. You, you were right. The morning was the slow one. Yes. And while we're getting ready to sing, those that want to play the tambourine, you can get your tambourine. They're all on the back pew. What a fellowship. What a fellowship. What a joy divine leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting Sing 
in the chorus. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all our love. Leaning on Jesus, leaning, leaning on the everlasting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, now we're going to do the evening version. All right? What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arm. What? offering. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, we, we just want to keep our, our, our eyes on the time here. So does somebody else have another song? What did you say, Mother Green? 246. Yes. Hallelujah. At Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mother Cummins will sing your song next week. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Anita. Amen. Give her a hand. Amen. Y'all might have to resurrect the blue books, Bishop. Thank you, Elder Anita, for showing us what worship was like back in the day. And what she didn't say is, you know what, sometimes two people will call out a number and you have to referee. 
Oh, okay, wait a minute. Yours first and then yours and then Mother Cummings next week. Remember your number for next week. <laughs> so whether we have all that we have today, how many keyboards? I don't even know how many, how many keyboards you got? Three? Six, oh, oh, you have a total of six. Oh, three here and three there. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You got six keyboards. I remember when we got the drums, that was a big thing. Woo! Drums, you know. And you got all kinds of instruments and, and all of that. And thank the Lord, but you know what? We need true worship. So whether you have the book or whether you have the screen, we're looking for true worshipers. So the question today is, is all, if all this went away, if you came in, what would happen if you came in and nothing was up here? Nothing. Can you still worship? Can you still give him praise? Would you still lift your voice? Would you still lift your hands? That's true worship. When you're in your house, I'm sure you don't have six keyboards in your house. <laughs> Can you worship? Can you give him praise? Because you know that noise does not equal anointing. Don't mistake the noise for the anointing. You know, and we think because it's quiet. Oh, Lord, it's quiet. And we go home, we say, ooh, service was dead today because it was quiet. And then when it's loud and people are running around like y'all were this morning, oh, God was in the place. Don't judge by the noise. There's a level of maturity that comes when you're able to sit quietly, when you're able to, to sing slow worship songs. You know, you, you don't have to wait for the beat. You have to wait for the fast song. There's a level of anointing. There's a level of maturity that comes as a worshiper when you can worship him no matter what. No matter what. It's in the DNA of Pentecostal Tabernacle. So the generations before us left us a legacy of a strong biblical foundation, a legacy of prayer, and a legacy of worship. PT is a testimony of what God can do for those who remained faithful to him. Pentecostal Tabernacle has a testimony, and it's time to tell it. It's time to tell it as you celebrate your 90th anniversary. It's time to tell your testimony, and I'm so glad to hear that you're going to be uh, on a monthly basis celebrating in different ways and telling the history, and I understand that there's a book coming up. That's I hope I can say that. Okay. There's a book kind of out there now. There's a book coming out on the history of Pentecostal Tabernacle. It's something to celebrate, something to look back on, because Pentecostal Tabernacle has a testimony. But now let's bring it down to a personal level. What is your testimony? Do you have a testimony? You know, when you go to court, you have to raise your right hand and you swear to tell the truth, help me out, Judge Helen, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, so help you God. And it's time for us as individuals to tell our testimony. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I thought about 
an Excel spreadsheet. You all know what Excel spreadsheet is? I'll tell you later what I mean. <laughs> she like, what, what? Excel spreadsheet. When you have an Excel spreadsheet, there's a function in there where you can hide some rows, right? And you can hide rows. And so then you just show the bottom line. And some of us, we have a testimony, but we're hiding the rows. So we come in and we, you all look beautiful. Everybody's acting right. <laughs> Everybody's looking good. You got it all together today, you know, cause it's Sunday. And so, you know, you got it together and you're in church. So that's a good thing. But some of us are hiding the whole truth. Cause the truth is we've been through some things. The truth is that we've been through times of depression. But we come in, we're running around the church. We're lifting up holy hands. But the truth is when we go home, it's another story. The truth is that you weren't always Mr. Boaz. The truth is you were sometimes Mr. Bozo. Oh, okay, I'll move on. Sisters weren't always Rebecca, Rachel. Some of us have been Rahab. Oh, now Google that. Because <laughs> you don't know who's Rahab. Yeah, Google that. It's time to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's time to stand in your truth and say, yes, I was. Yes, I did. Yes, I am going through these things. But the thing about it is, and then you put two words on it, but God. But God. But God. Yes, I was depressed. Yes, I lost my job. Yes, I lost my house. But God. But God came through. That's the testimony. This church, the mission of this church is still restoring broken lives. So if you're restoring broken lives, that means there's got to be some broken lives in here. And your testimony of how God has brought you through is going to bless somebody else. Now, I'm not saying you have to get up here and tell it on a Sunday morning. But you see brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so going through. And you know you've been through it too. It's time to testify. Tell your neighbors, time to testify. Time to testify. And then sometimes you have to testify to yourself. <laughs> you got to testify to yourself. You know what? Remember when the Lord provided? Do you remember how he helped you through that last exam? Ooh. Ooh, yes, brother. <laughs> Do you remember? how he got you into your undergraduate. Why are you freaking out for the doctoral program? Do you remember how he provided when you needed housing? Remember how he got you the apartment? Why can't he get you the house? You gotta testify to yourself <laughs> about the goodness of the Lord. The song says, if he did it before, he'll do it again. Same God right now, same God back then.
The same God that brought you through before is going to bring you through again. So this afternoon and in the months to follow as you celebrate your 90th anniversary, it's testimony time. It's time to tell the story of the goodness of the Lord to Pentecostal Tabernacle, and it's time to tell the story of the goodness of the Lord to you. You ought to tell somebody. You ought to tell somebody. You got options. You can tweet it. You can Instagram it. You can Facebook it. You can Snapchat it. And if there's something else that I don't know about, you can do that too. <laughs> you got many ways, many options on how you can tell about the goodness of the Lord. And in case you're wondering what to say when you, te when you testify, because you might be like, well, that's all well and good, but what am I supposed to say? Well, in the last part of Psalm 145, the verses that we read today, in verses 4 to 7, the writer there, the psalmist David, tells us what we can do and how we can testify. He says, they will tell of his mighty acts. Talk about his mighty acts. Verse 5, the glorious splendor of your majesty, the wonderful works, the power of his awesome works, his great deeds. And then in verse 7, he says, celebrate his abundant goodness. His abundant goodness. I said, wow, he's not just good, he's abundantly good. And then Ephesians 3 and 20 says, he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even imagine. And I thought about, when we think about the four fathers and mother, mothers of this church, I thought about Ma Selman. Because Ma Selman would say, my Jesus is too sweet. Too sweet. Like she couldn't, like, just can't even fathom how to say all this. She just, he's too sweet. His abundant goodness. And then sing joyfully of your righteousness. So this morning, do I have anybody that wants to testify? Do I have anybody that wants to testify? Do I have anybody that wants to tell of his goodness? Anybody that wants to give him praise? Anybody that wants to exalt him? Anybody that wants to worship him this morning? It's testimony time. It's testimony time. Find two people and tell them about the goodness of the Lord. Just two people. Find two people. Testify right now to the goodness of the Lord. Tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them of his greatness, his wonderful works, his mighty acts, his exceedingly abundantly above all. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Because it's testimony time. Oh, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. He's great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to your name, Lord. We pray this afternoon that the word has touched your heart. And that as you go forth from this place, that you will tell of the goodness of the Lord. Not just to this church, but the goodness of the Lord to you. So that others may be blessed. The scripture said they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So you as an individual will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. But you may also be the one to free somebody else. 
through your testimony. Restore and grow.